Hey everybody, Liam here. Before we start the show, I just wanted to mention that I've got a few events coming up that I'm really excited about. The first one is this Sunday, October 2nd, at the Oakland Public Library. I'll be interviewing the authors of a fascinating new book called Listen World, which is about how a woman named Elsie Robinson uh, went from writing the kitty page of the Oakland Tribune to becoming one of the most influential writers of her generation. If you haven't heard of her before, uh, that's part of the story too, how her legacy has been lost. Um, that event is free, and I will also be selling some Long Lost Oakland posters at that one, so uh, come through on Sunday. Also on October 11th, there will be a screening of a new documentary on the famous Huey Newton trial that's happening at the New Parkway Theater. After the film, I'll be moderating a panel featuring Huey Newton's brother, Melvin Newton, uh, also the legendary civil rights attorney, John Burris, the film's director, Andrew Abrams, and uh, Lise Perlman, who wrote the books that the film is based on and is also a former judge. She will be there as well. Should be a really great discussion. Tickets for that one are going fast. And uh, finally, one more event. Since my live show about Berkeley history at the Shotgun Players Theater last month sold out so fast, thanks to everyone who got tickets to that one, uh, we decided to add one more encore performance that will be happening on November 15th. Once again, it's co-sponsored by KPFA, and uh, the tickets for that just went on sale. You can find details about all those events at eastbayyesterday.com or through my newsletter or social media. Uh, so yeah, hope to see you soon. Okay, on to the show. My interview today is with Nina Joyner, who is the owner of Oakland's Feelmore Adult Gallery. Nina is also opening a sex-themed bar that should be coming soon to downtown Oakland. And uh, Nina is an expert on local sex history. So <laughs> if you haven't figured it out yet, today's episode is all about sex. So here's your warning. If you're listening with little kids, there will be quite a bit of adult language in this episode. If you don't want to hear about people getting freaky, then you might not want to listen. But if you do, you're in luck. This is East Bay Yesterday. Stay tuned. You're listening to East Bay Yesterday. This show is about history, but it's not stuck in the past. Let's begin. Let's begin. All right, so we are rolling, and um, how about, can we just start by having you introduce yourself and tell me a little bit about, you know, where you came from, how long you've been in the Bay, a little bit, little bit of background. All right, we're, we're doing this interview in the basement because it's super hot, cracking a Modelo, end of a long day. All right, let's get into it. <laughs> hey, what's going on? This is Nina Joyner. Um, I live in Oakland right now, right now, forever, I'll say forever. But uh, born and raised in Vegas, of Las Vegas, Nevada, which is uh, the state of Nevada is where prostitution was legal. But I can remember as a kid actually um, being outside, being on the buses, and seeing the women actually riding the buses up north, which was to the um, what was called the test site, Nevada test site. So they would actually the men would be up there for the week or the days. 
and women would go up there in service because those counties is where the uh, test site was located. Wait, what were they testing? Nuclear. Wow. Yeah. So it was you were seeing the the sex workers going up to basically yeah. uh, make money off the guys that were working on the nuclear tests. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, brothels wow. were you know as a kid. It's Nevada. I mean, sex was normalized a bit there, but it was it was normalized as a commerce. It wasn't normalized for me, like, around my household, mm. you know, talking about sex. I don't think anyone was really talking about safe sex then, especially, especially in the black community. And, and when was this that you were kind of growing up that you're talking about? So this is around the 80s. Okay. Yeah, so a kid, I grew up in this, from the 70s. I'm mm-hmm. a 70s baby, okay. 74, and grew up around the 80s, started to see that. And in the 90s, I kind of left and came to Oakland. So do you think growing up in Vegas had a big influence on why you ended up becoming a sex shop owner in your adult life? Yeah, I think it did. You know, one of the things, one of the neighborhoods I lived in was called Winslow Park. And uh, in this one black neighborhood, you could see the whole city. You could see all of the lights. And just to imagine what was going on down there, like Showgirls and, you know, the Rat Pack and Jerry, you know, Jerry Lewis, those guys were just all around Sinatra. This is how I grew up. And so I can remember once seeing a billboard downtown that had um, AVN on there, which is Adult Video Network. I was like, oh, what's that? You know, it was was part of the CES show. Well, CES was Computer Expo, right? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, Consumer Electronics. Consumer Electronics. Yeah. So Consumer Electronics. And I didn't know what the heck that was as a kid. And so later on in life, I found out it was a porn convention. And I started going to the porn conventions. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's that's how you, that was your first sort of taste of the sex industry, going yeah. to the the porn conventions. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, after after I moved uh, to uh, the Bay Area, I worked for a couple companies. I worked for Clorox, and uh, I came home one day. I was like, man, I had a dream. Honestly, I really had a dream, and I wanted to be in the adult business. And being in the adult business wasn't performing sex or performing sex acts on camera, uh, but it was about working in the in the business because I never knew anybody who worked in the business. The You saw the booths, you know, booth stores, or you saw the theaters, but you never saw, I never saw someone in my community doing that. No one was ever talking about it. But later on, I found out my grandfather was actually selling sex toys, like in Tupperware. Everybody was selling sex toys, but they nobody talked about it. Did he, was he selling them like out of a other kind of store, like a regular store, or like was he just he, like he had a side hustle? He he had a side. My grandfather always kept a side hustle. Oh wow! Yeah, just a side hustle, just doing all of this stuff, and you know, I didn't know sex toys was that for them. But anyway, so I moved to the Bay Area, and I had this dream, and I bought all of these sex toys. And I started to go to the bar stations and bars to actually sell these products. I mean, you know, that's what I started to do. So when you say that you, and I'm sorry, this is going to sound so cliche, but when you say that you bought like a bunch of sex toys and we're going around like the BART station yeah. and BART selling them, I'm picturing you wearing like a big trench coat where like you open the trench coat and like there's a bunch of, you it know, sex. Kinda, it was kind of like that. It was kind of <laughs> like that. I had two boxes, two boxes. I bought okay. them from Bed Bath & Beyond, which is actually closing in Oakland right now. Yeah, but yeah. two boxes, um, one red, one brown, and 
DVDs was in one and sex toys were in another. Oh yeah, during the DVD era. Yeah, okay. yeah, okay. you know, because you couldn't get that stuff, or you could get it on. You can get it on the side of the road, but everything was like bootlegs, right? Yeah, you yeah. didn't know what the heck you were really buying. And uh, I didn't sell much, but I got a lesson in what it feels like to be out there. Mm. You know, to be very transparent. Mm-hmm. You know, there is shame that comes along with sex sure. because no one gets to, no one talks about it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. No one talks about it. But now that you've been in the business for mm-hmm. quite a few years, how, how long has your gallery or, or had the store been open, Fillmore? The store has been open for 13 physically, uh, but I probably did the selling out of my truck and my car for about two years. Wow. I also did Parkway. We were talking about the Parkway, yeah. which, which is now a weed shop, right? Cannabis theater. Hopefully we get that going. That was actually where I hosted my first uh, porn film. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So I want to get back to the whole evolution of film, Fillmore mm-hmm. and sort of how you grew the business and, mm-hmm. and all that. But I want to talk a little bit about a little Oakland history, too. Okay. So my understanding is that you were involved with, like, the was it the Landmarks Commission? Can you explain, like, what that is and how you got into that? Well, I used to work for Clorox, and uh, Clorox is uh, situated at um, 12th and Broadway. Uh, City of Oakland is at 14th and Broadway, essentially. Uh, So a lot of times people would share resources and do different things, and Toastmasters was one of the things that was shared with business people in the community. And I met a woman named Betty Marvin. And uh, if anybody knows, she's a super historian for the city of Oakland. Literally like a walking encyclopedia of like every building in the city of Oakland. Like you could point to any random building and Betty Marvin would like know what year it was made. She is amazing. Just The woman knows everything. And she's not afraid of Oakland. That's no. what I like. She's yeah. not afraid of the dark. She's not afraid. She understands the city and appreciates it. And I appreciate that about her. And uh, I was on a different board, and when the landmarks came up, she called me. I was like, oh, this this is awesome, because I like the buildings, I like City of Oakland, and, you know, I was meeting a lot of people from through the Oakland history, yeah. and uh, got to know them, got to know Miss Amelia Marshall, and kept talking history. For people who don't know about, like, the Landmarks Commission, what does that do exactly? What they do is preserve the identity of the city mm. in certain places. Uh, so you still want to bring the new elements in, but you also need to make sure it still has its historical composition. A lot of buildings out there will actually apply for uh, historical preservation where it's at the city on the uh, registry for the for the state where you can actually get discounts and tax, but also it's just to keep with the community, you know, so it's like, there's a there there. And so when you come back home to Oakland, if you've been traveling, that you can still see Oakland existing in the city. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting how Oakland is sort of trying to find that balance of welcoming new development with maintaining some some of the visual character of some of the older buildings. Like mm-hmm. I used to live really close to Auto Row, mm-hmm. you know, just north of downtown. And a lot of those new buildings that came in, they did this sort of interesting thing where they kept like sort of the facade mm-hmm. of the building and they kind of hollowed out everything else and they put a big new tall building behind it. But when you're walking along the sidewalk, at least there's still some of that, like a nod to the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you you definitely want to keep a nod to the past or I can see how easily with new development it comes in. It's just totally different. Hmm. You you want to keep 
that preservation because that's the foundation of the city. That's what makes the city the city. And I appreciate that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so I don't really know too much about your research, but I've been told mm-hmm. through, through mutual friends that uh, through your work, through your research with the Landmarks Commission, you kind of started specializing in like the sex history of Oakland. So can yeah. you tell me a little bit about that? Like what did you discover when you were digging into that? Well, the sex history is something that I, I really appreciate, but just to take a step back farther, um, before I started on the Landmarks Board, I had a house in District 4, where I'm actually running for city council now, but I had a house in District 4. The back unit wasn't permitted, but I went to the city to learn how to read the old maps, the Sanborn maps. Hey everybody, sorry to interrupt. Just want to jump in real quick with a definition of Sanborn maps. These were extremely detailed maps created by the Sanborn Company for the purpose of uh, assessing various liabilities, specifically for fire insurance. The first time I saw these maps was in Betty Marvin's office, and they're bound together in these huge leather books. Uh, Some of them are over 100 years old. They're basically like looking at an old school version of Google Street View because the maps note things like uh, what each building was used for, distances between buildings. If there was like an outhouse, they'd note that. And uh, sometimes even the locations of gas and water lines, they're really detailed. And if you ever want to see them in person, you can find them in the map room, surprise, surprise, at the Oakland Library. Anyway, Nina was able to use an old map to deal with their permitting problem by showing that a back unit had historically existed on the property. So they just had to bring it up to code. Nina also found something else very interesting when they were learning to read those old Sanborn maps. The Sanborn maps actually show in the city of Oakland, you know, like some of the homes are actually brothels. So um, you, you have a female boarding homes. Yeah, okay. the FB. Have you ever heard of so those? So I've, I've heard of this because, uh-huh. yeah, like it was a, sort of a code, right? Like it uh-huh. wouldn't just say brothel. No. It would say female boarding house. And yeah, there's the initials. And that's sort of like uh-huh. um, telling you what's there for the people who understand how to read that code. Yes. It was also, as Miss Betty said, it was basically to allow people to vote. So it was a way to record who was in the house as well. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Sanborn. Sanborn maps were, you know, different utilities, multiple utilities, and that was really one of them. And and some of what was happening around prostitution was happening more in the white homes, because mm. the the soldiers, the men, went away for war, so the women had to they had to fend for themselves, and to do that. Sure. They had to use, you know, use their bodies to make sure that they survived, especially widows. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, do you, did you get any sense of how many female boarding houses there were? Or like, were you, were you sort of doing a, a count up? Or well, no, you don't. It's it's kind of hard to do a count up. You'll uh-huh. get a couple, but you'll see most of the FBs in uh, the Willow area in Prescott. Okay. So where the U.S. Post Office is right now. So, that makes sense because that's pretty mm-hmm. close to the Army base. And I've talked to people mm-hmm. who used to work at that Army base. And they're like, yeah, there was always people coming from the Army base, you know, looking mm-hmm. for, like, sex in West Oakland. So Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And so that area was where some of the original brothels were in, mm-hmm. um, in West Oakland. So when you were uh, doing your research... Mm-hmm. We were talking a little bit before the interview about how one of the people that you interviewed was a uh, 
someone who worked for the health department. Can mm-hmm. you tell me about that story? So his name was Jack Schroeder, and he was the first public health contact tracer. So Mr. Schroeder's office was the first public health department in the city of Oakland. Uh, so the public health department, you remember the Smart and Final down on Broadway, right at the Marriott? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, definitely. That's where it was. Oh, okay. Yeah, so uh-huh. that's where the first public health department was. Mr. Schroeder was white, um, but he, uh, he knew how to move in the city. You know what I mean? Okay. So, someone who could go everywhere in the city. And people respected him. Uh, he knew Slim Jenkins. He knew Esther from Esther's Orbit. And what he would do is go down there to the brothel and do actually sex checks to make sure that the girls were okay. And so if someone had like a venereal disease, as they called them back then, I guess now the term is uh, STI, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, would the county health department or the city health department provide medication and things like that? Or? No, they. I mean, they didn't do the medication then. You know, they okay. get medical support, but it was mm-hmm. basically to make sure that they didn't get shut down. Uh, yeah, okay. so he would just go back there and make sure that there was an outbreak. If it's one girl, yeah. you know, you take them off the rotation and then you get some support. Wow. But you didn't want to, you just wanted to make sure everything was, you know, accordingly, you know, going to, according to health standards. I mean, that seems like kind of an enlightened model compared to the way that sex work is treated in a lot of places now, looking at it as a a public health issue. You know, people are going to be Mm -hmm. engaging in sex, and sometimes it's going to be for money, and Mm -hmm. if that's going to be happening, Mm -hmm. let's make sure that people are being safe about it, and there's Mm -hmm. not going to be outbreaks of STIs and other things sort of spread throughout the community. Yeah, but look at it. It's also Army base was back there. Uh, so if yeah. you're you're looking at Army, you're looking at Pullman Porters who were coming up and down the coast. And West Oakland was after the migration, after blacks got back to West Oakland, the migration kept black spaces open. Mm-hmm. You know, Pullman Porters had to um, be on the clock for 24 hours because they didn't know when they got the call. Mm-hmm. So they would sit at the, you know, the boarding homes, yeah. the brothels, the, the gambling houses, all of those things were a part of, you could call West Oakland like the red light district, you yeah. know, that supported that longshoreman, that, you know, that industrialized uh, position. And people just loved it. It, it created this culture for everyone in West Oakland. You get food, you go on Esther's, you can get a meal, you can get, you know, brothel sex, and then you can go on home. But again, these, these men who were working in the area, they were traveling. And so now you have a disease that's traveling up and down mm. the area. So it was, it was looked at. Uh, he, Mr. Jack was uh, the kind of person, when I sat with him, that felt that he did the right thing then because being a white man in a black Oakland, he could have shut them down. Mm. You know, anything mm-hmm. could have happened, you know, extortion. So, yes, he was doing his job because he thought that was the best thing to do. Yeah. But I can also see how uh, using health to shut down people could be a part of, you know, stopping commerce as well. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And mm-hmm. so the 7th Street was famously mm-hmm. a strip for sex work for mm-hmm. many years. Uh, we talked about that a couple episodes ago mm-hmm. um, when we were describing, you know, the Ward brothers coming to Oakland, these famous pimps. Um, pimps. And then also, I know a little bit later, like sort of after the post-war boom or the, the, the World War II era boom, a lot of the um, sex work in Oakland was centered around the California Hotel. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that at all? 
The California Hotel, you're talking about in San Pablo? Yep. Yeah, you know, there's a, there's a lot. So, you know, one of the things I wanted to tell you about today was um, the law back in 1914, 1913, that really kind of started to move things around in the city, which um, I feel it was the, uh, the Red Light Abatement Act. Mm -hmm. Okay, just jumping in with a quick summary of the Red Light Abatement Act. Like Nina said, it's a California law that was passed in 1913, and the purpose was essentially to shut down brothels and end so-called red light districts. Uh, it did this by fining landlords, and it ended up being model legislation that was used by dozens of other states that passed similar laws. It uh, ended up having some very negative consequences, though. For example, some landlords stopped renting apartments to single women altogether. Also, shutting down brothels forced most sex workers out into the streets, which made prostitution far more dangerous. The Red Light Abatement Act is still in effect to this day, and it's occasionally used to shut down motels or massage parlors, but of course it hasn't stopped sex work from occurring. It's just forced it to be more, shall we say, decentralized. Another part of the migration was also around uh, the MacArthur Freeway. Oh, okay. Yeah, so all of those hotels along the MacArthur Freeway were also for workers, but they were also for prostitution as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, it's amazing how many of those motels along MacArthur are still there. Still there. I mean, I used to live really close to that, and like mm -hmm. ride, I would ride my bike up MacArthur all the time, and it's mm -hmm. like on some blocks there's like three, four motels mm -hmm. that are just, mm -hmm. you know, there's always people there. Tell, tell me about California Hotel. Um, well, I have interviewed a couple of people that live there, hung out there over the years, and my understanding is that basically, I want to say like the heyday of it was probably like in the 50s and 60s. I think things started going downhill a little bit once the freeways came in, because that was just like a lot of construction and really kind of tore up the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. But this was a place where... There was a um, nightclub on the first floor, Zanzibar Room, okay. and there was like a lot of famous entertainers coming through there, um, you know, you name it. Like, and it was a black spot, too. Um, for when it first opened in, I want to say, like the 30s or 40s, it was segregated, whites only. And then once mm -hmm. it was desegregated, basically it became the black mm -hmm. cultural hub of mm -hmm. that stretch of San Pablo mm -hmm. in the Hoover Durant area. And... Um, from what I heard, it was just popping. Like, there was, like, illegal casinos in some rooms. John's going up into rooms with sex workers all the time. Pimps hanging out in the Zanzibar room right front. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was just, like, the strip. Like, you'd mm -hmm. get anything you wanted there. And, like, entertainers would come through. Like, Richard Pryor played there. You know, mm -hmm. Ray Charles played there. Like, you name it. And then, like all things, that the era kind of came, came to a crashing end. Uh, I think mostly with the arrival of, like, heroin and then crack. And mm -hmm. a lot of other, you know... Factors not to um, overlook, of course, the influence of institutional racism and mm -hmm. police racism and whatnot as well. And now it's kind of going through another renaissance, but a very different kind of scene over there right now. There's like nonprofits. There's um, the Barry Mural Project is on the first floor. Some really cool groups. There's a community garden mm -hmm. out back. And uh, that's where the I restaurant think is, right? There's the restaurant. I think it's like senior living and stuff mm -hmm. now too. So low income housing. I believe Ibalti runs it, and mm -hmm. it's it's a great spot. We actually did the um, the launch party for the Black Liberation Walking Tour there that mm -hmm. I was a part of helping to organize. Oh, know? that's nice. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. So. 
it's uh, a wonder why the red light abatement wasn't used to take that, you know, hotel, especially mm-hmm. during the 60s. Because, well, maybe someone's getting paid, yeah, right? And, and they updated the ordinance, the, the civil code around the abatement to now include like massage parlors, gambling. Um, so, you know, politicians, I mean, in a way, they continue to police our bodies. No one wants to. It's like you got cannabis handle they just decriminalized mushrooms psychedelics but nobody's fucking talking about sex work i mean if anything it seems like it's going the other way in some ways more criminalization or more marginalization with like the sesta fosta bill and some things like that that we're attempting to Mm -hmm. they were saying they're going to try to crack down like human trafficking which definitely exists and it's definitely something that Mm -hmm. should be you know people who are human trafficking should not be allowed to do that or any kind of underage mm-hmm. child sexual exploitation. But from you know my understanding from sex workers I've talked to and you know articles I've read is that it, it puts people who are trying to just have a legitimate hustle like either back on the streets in a more dangerous position mm-hmm. or in a place where they can't sort of vet their johns and it mm-hmm. just seems like it's sort of backfiring. See what happened with the red light abatement originally. It pushed yeah. everybody out of brothels to the street. Yeah because you can decentralize it, and now the landlord isn't going to be pissed at you. But now mm. the landlords are pissed at them because they're walking in front of their buildings. In a lot of ways, looking back at Oakland history, especially like in the like mid-20th century, mm-hmm. Oakland was kind of trying to define itself as very different from San Francisco. They mm-hmm. saw San Francisco as sort of like this city of vice and sort of wild behavior and craziness and nightlife and they wanted oakland to be uh like sort of a bedroom community there's a lot of churches a lot of people trying to come here and raise their families and so i could see how that sort of moral Mm -hmm. imperative of those sort of that kind of middle class mindset would want to push out anything that might sort of challenge those uh you know those values Mm -hmm. no i i i can see that in we still have this idea that we want to be different than San Francisco, and sure. but if we can, if we stay with uh, what was happening with brothels, if we yeah. move towards uh, what was happening in the, in the in the country, like um, topless and burlesque, like Oakland mm. was one of the top capitals in the world for burlesque. You ever did you ever look at the El Rey? I've uh, seen some photos and stories about the El Rey on uh, the Oakland Wiki because I know the famous dancer, Tempest Storm, used Mm -hmm. to come there regularly and dance. Man, she had some. Yeah, she was good. She was really, really good. Um, Those, every member, I saw someone who was selling the memorabilia from everything El Rey with Tempest on there. Uh It It was beautiful. You know, with all of the things that we were doing here around burlesque, it was like, why did it die? You know, why did it die? And it's like I saw bars really closing, you know, because yeah. there was never a dedicated like a, this is a strip right. club. You know, it was just yeah. like it's happening this oh, night, okay. you know, so it was never, you know, you had the Moulin Rouge on the 8th in uh, Washington, 1930s, right. 1940s. Right. But it was in 1969 that Reagan actually came out with the Quimby Act that allowed the state of California cities to actually regulate how they dealt with topless. So they pushed it down into the municipal code. And again, here's Oakland doing that dumb shit, you know, just really being very restrictive. Okay, so the Quimby Act was essentially 
Governor Ronald Reagan's conservative backlash to the free love movement. This is 69. Remember the era of bra burning and naked hippies. As soon as Reagan passed that law, letting cities crack down on topless or nude performances, Oakland updated its municipal code to make not only female nipples illegal to show in public, but even pasties. What a bunch of prudes. So that's why Oakland doesn't have strip clubs now, because it goes back to Ronald Reagan mm-hmm. being governor in the 60s and passing the Quimby Act, huh? Mm-hmm. I, was, I never knew. I never knew that. Yeah, and mm. then here comes Jerry Brown sometime after that, wanting to really stick to that. It's like, I don't want this in my city. Mm-hmm. You know, because again, they didn't want to be like San Francisco. Right. I don't want this in my city. And I think them pushing down and repressing the the sex sex mm-hmm. workers also fuel not having queer or gay life here. Mm. It mm. would have been just on and popping. Well, I mean, but there was yeah. queer and, you know, there, I mean, there was lesbian bars in the yeah. 70s and 80s. And like, yeah, I mean, it was never on par with like the Castro mm-hmm. district or anything like that. But it was, I think, more underground here or more sort of like, yeah, based in smaller spaces, less visible. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, Jeffrey's Inner Circle right now in downtown uh-huh. Oakland is called Jeffrey's Inner Circle. Uh, I forgot the name. He has the photos, but it, they used to do blackface there and it was wow. a strip club. So they would do blackface and there's strippers in there, too. He has photos what? of that. Jesus. So they were there just like we're doing underground strip clubs yeah. here. Like yeah. it was happening. Wow. You know? And there was a lot of um, basically porno theaters at one mm-hmm. point in Oakland, too. Pussy and Cat Club. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. uh, when I came in with Fillmore in 2010, the last time they had on the books an adult entertainment was uh, 74, I believe. Wow. Yeah, it, it was in the 70s. Wow. Mm-hmm. And I know that there was like this trajectory where, you know, back in the sort of pre-TV era, mm-hmm. there used to be tons of theaters because that was like, if you wanted to mm-hmm. see even the news, you had to mm-hmm. go to like a movie theater to see like the newsreel or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then once everyone got TVs, those theaters were sort of scrambling to find a new business model. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the theaters that used to be showing, you know, regular mainstream movies mm-hmm. transitioned to adult content. Like mm-hmm. there was a theater called like the T&D and I forget what the T&D originally stood for. It was, was like it? someone's name, but then they changed, like everyone started calling it the tough and dirty. Where was it? God, where was it? Hold on. I'll, I'll look it up real T&D. quick. Yeah. Okay. Look it up. All right. So I had to pause for a second to look that up, but the T&D theater was a large movie theater downtown open from 1916 until 1976. It was at 419 11th street. And uh, people started calling it the tough and dirty in its later years because of the films it showed. So here you can see how massive this place was. That's nice. Yeah. That's beautiful. Isn't that beautiful? Look at that. That's beautiful. Um, my store where it is, it used to be an old Fredericks of Hollywood. What was that? Is that like a lingerie shop? Okay, gotcha. Lingerie. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. yeah. And so so much is out there, but you know they they crushed it. You can't find anything. You can't find anything in archives. I would go to Oakland History Room. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised. You, I'm surprised to find a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's it's so disjointed. You know, mm-hmm. you talk about the queer bars. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. what Bellas. 
Yeah. Cables. I got, uh-huh. I got shot at Cables Reef. Of, yeah, yeah, over where the uh, Legionnaires is now. Oh, where was Bella's again? R- right on the next corner. Same, same corner. Or yeah. same block, yeah. Uh, where Rock, Paper, Scissors was. It's yeah. right at the corner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Bella's, um, there's another one. It, you know, everything was just killed here in Oakland. You think about the body. You think about queer, queer life. And it was all around... You know, with the body, it was definitely around ordinances, queer life. It was mm-hmm. around ordinances, access to capital. What I know about getting in business into the sex business, access to capital was just not there. Historically, his, uh, access to capital, say for these things like the mm-hmm. theaters, came from the mob, came um. from the, the, the third rail lending system. Mm-hmm. No one actually had the money, but you knew the idea was going to work and you needed someone to help you with that. Mm-hmm. So the banks weren't loaning to you. And mm-hmm. I'm black, so the banks definitely weren't loaning to me. And so you'd have people who would come in, and that's where the extortion or some of the violence that would happen, and you know some of the, the ownership changes would happen, or the mob would actually run the entire circuit. Um, but with the bars, I I remember you know younger here in Oakland experiencing those bars and seeing cables and seeing that, but. You know, it was also like this gentrification of just selling off at, to the highest bidder. It was a cash, it was either cash out or push out, hmm. you know, because you didn't own the building. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about, I know that during that era, like 90s and early 2000s, there was a ton happening in sort of like the underground kind of warehouse scene. There was mm-hmm. all these, you know, you name it, every different scene had its own kind of spots. There was mm-hmm. punk people, metal people, mm-hmm. Burning Man people, hip hop people. Was there like a big queer underground scene in Oakland Always. in like the 90s and 2000s? Always. You yeah. had the, um, well, we had the, um, the fire you know, the fire that happened to East, East Oakland with the people who died. What was the fire? Oh, the ghost ship. Yeah, yeah. the ghost yeah. ship fire. Um, but I remember being in a lot of those warehouses yeah. because it was fun. It was the only place that we had freedom, that we can break away from home for a moment. We were all doing that. Yeah. And cheap drinks, too. <laughs> well, I didn't drink, but, okay. it, you know, I, I watched the strippers, you know. What oh, I mean? okay. But um, it was the best place to be. So you just look for you look for space. I can remember one time uh, going with a friend. She was like, "Hey, we're gonna go to the Speakeasy. It's in Chinatown." So I was like, "Okay, great. Well, you know, what's the name of what's the address? I can't tell you that." So she picks me up. We go over there and uh, we tell this guy her name or whatever she said to him. He lets us through. The whole wall revolved. And we went through the wall. There was like, I went downstairs. I'm not really a big drinker, but we're drinking beers now. But anyway, so I go downstairs and they had a bar, they had a stripper pole. So I was like, hey, they got a stripper pole. I'm not a stripper, but I'm hoping that there's some imaginary strippers gonna happen. And they had tons of cocaine everywhere. It was like 70s. It was like 70s. It Uh, was like cocaine everywhere. People I knew were like, oh, my gosh, she's here. And I'm like, I don't see you. You know what (laughs) I mean? Like, even to this day, like, I don't see you. That's your business. But to see those old places like that in Oakland, I'm like, this this stuff right here makes me fall in love with it more. Yeah. No, I hear that. Definitely. And it was next to a sex shop. It was next Uh to a CD sex shop, which I loved. 
Oh my god, that totally wait, was it on yeah. was it I think I know this Don't spot. Say that. Don't say that. <laughs> I think I I think you know I know I think I know that spot. I Did think. You know? Um I, th I it, it was that sex shop that had like the black and white sign, like the really big, like next to yeah, yeah. I bought that sign. Yeah. <laughs> I got that sign. I was friends with the the dad who <sighs> who uh he wanted to sell me the place and I was like, Oh, let's see how much he, you know, how much he's like, Oh, it's gonna be like hundred and seventy. I was like, No, we're not doing that. Yeah. But I met his son, and then someone came to the store and said that they were selling that. They were going out of business. Oh, wow. So I went down to uh, just talk to mm -hmm. him, whatever. And I was like, can I get that sign? Wow. They gave me the sign for 100 bucks. So I got it now posted up in Fillmore. It says wow. adult, adult yeah. store. Yeah, it's a cool sign. It's a very cool yeah. sign. It's got nice uh, text and everything. No, but I went to a couple parties below there like i think it was like next door and underground uh -huh. to see djs uh -huh. and then eventually it got busted and i was reading the like news report about how they got busted and they said the the police did like a six month sting operation or something like that i'm like they i'm like they didn't need to be doing a sting there they wanted to go there and party themselves you know like they were probably hanging out kicking it and then finally their bosses were like all right you guys gonna bust this place you're just gonna hang out and party all night you know and they're like okay i guess we're gonna bust it whatever you, you know? know but but that's a that's a almost like a ghost ship as well mm, like we were in yeah, the basement yeah you know I, mean? like, I know i remember and there was like this one tiny smoking room and it was like everyone was crammed in and it's like yeah. this wooden staircase and yeah. it was fun yeah it was cool it was a move that we we're creating <laughs> you know that we we're talking about oakland but yeah. it wasn't safe. No, no, definitely you know? not safe. But I mean, it went all night, and uh -huh. like you know, I mean, there's not a lot of all night uh -huh. nightlife in Oakland. So you, I mean, and people are gonna go out whether you want them to or not. So you got to have spaces like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So yeah, we got we got a couple sex sex clubs around here. You know, you got the whole. You have this whole sex industry that happens in Oakland without happening in Oakland. You know, you have. You have a kinky salon, you know. Have you ever been? I've never been, no. Yeah. I volunteer. I'm saying that. I do. Um, you should always have a safe space for people to enjoy themselves. Mm -hmm. And uh, I really love what they do. Uh, and that's down by the police department, but they've never not advertised anything. Yeah. Um, and people, police are like, what? I'm like, yeah, it's just right over there. <laughs> you know? Or the sex, sex parties that happen around... Um, around the lake, you mm -hmm. know, in Crocker Highlands. You know, people are like, my district, my, my, yeah, your district, your community, like it's happening out there, you know? There's a BDSM house out in Oakland, a couple of them, like they're really fun. No, I mean, you're totally right. Like, I've, I've got friends who are in that scene, and they're telling me, like, oh, there's dungeons over there. Oh, there's a mansion up there where people have parties. And like you said before, I can understand why researching the history of that could be so hard because none of this stuff is advertised it's all kind of behind closed doors mm -hmm. word of mouth and no one is like documenting it like that's that would kind of be a, a little bit of a vibe killer if someone's there with like a notepad or a camera mm -hmm. it's all supposed to be kind of off the book so mm -hmm. that that it makes sense why there's so little sort of why like writing a book or making a documentary about Oakland sex history would be so difficult yeah and so as Miss Amelia was telling you I was looking to make a book about prostitution or sex work mm -hmm. and the company was like well you know we don't want to get too risque if you just do it about comprehensive red light gambling mm -hmm. and stuff like that mm -hmm. then we can we can really look at it yeah. but if it was just going to center on prostitution and sex work they just didn't want that they wanted it more broad
So we were talking a little bit about your business, Feel More, earlier in the conversation, but mm-hmm. I want to get back to that because I'm curious about how you started it. How did you go from selling DVDs and mm-hmm. sex toys in bars and mm-hmm. public transportation <laughs> systems know, to uh, to uh, owning like this really cool shop yeah. downtown that's like kind of like an anchor of the community? It's like been there longer than most of those other businesses by yeah. this point. Yeah. Um, like you said, we started selling, I started selling outside and I always knew I wanted a shop. What I did was while I worked at Clorox, I actually filled out applications to work at Secrets, even Good Vibrations. I even went into some CD spots in San Francisco and I always had a suit on like, cause I was coming from Clorox, but I never got hired. Hmm. I never got hired. Hmm. I was just like, why not hire me? Like, I really want to learn this, yeah. you know, and even Good Vibrations never, never got hired. And I just said, well, fuck it. I'm going to, I'm going to do it myself. That's when I started selling out of the trunk of my car and things like that. But, you know, never let, never let a no stop you. And Fillmore was built out of a no. You know, it was built out of not having the foundation to understand pleasure at an adult perspective, a young adult perspective, and also um, how how our community, my community, black community, how women with so much trauma historically pleasured themselves. Mm. What did we do? We didn't talk about those stories. We had, we'd go to work, we'd take care of kids, we'd have kids, we'd have husbands, and you know, not me, I I have no husband, but, um, we'd have husbands and we do all of these things, but where was the pleasure in life for someone who took on so much emotionally in the, in the family, in the community? And um, when I started to hold and understand sex toys, it was people were looking at me that looked like me. Black people were like laughing or things like that. And I'm like, why is it that we, we laugh at each? Why, why do people laugh? It's someone when they're talking about and owning their sexuality and I think the the, the laughter is embarrassment mm-hmm. or the laughter is fear yeah and so if you talk about sex toys people would think you're into sex toys or they would know your your private business mm-hmm. versus just you just sharing you know in general conversation about how things change perspectives for for women or for men and um I'm just happy that I, I I took that opportunity because it wasn't the sex toys that really changed my life. It was the shedding of fear about mm. what people say about me, how they treat me, and not taking it personal because I built something out of the trunk of my car, like literally, but it was about building my confidence in myself. So one thing I was wondering about is because you're in the store all the time talking to people about their sex lives, mm-hmm. um, you know. So I do this local history podcast, and every time I'm out, people like want to talk to me about local history. They're like, "Hey Liam, I listen to your show. I got the story idea. Check this out." And they'll tell me some great look. You know, this old guy on my block, this thing that he did, whatever. Yeah, they you want know? to talk to and me about I was wa- everything. I was wondering. So with you, like, is there some stories that have stood out in your mind of like people sharing their kind of sexual history with you that? You can repeat without naming any names or anything like that. Right. I do have AA culture behind uh-huh. me. Right, um, right. We got to respect the privacy, of course. Absolutely. 
I think that's been the best part about the store for me. It's been healing um, as someone who's experienced sexual trauma that I get to every day go through and relive that boundary setting with no or consent. It's a really good, it's a really good exercise. And in that, people ask, you know, tell me their story. I'm like, hey, you know, okay, I'll listen. And um, I don't ever share them, like, mm-hmm. you know, to sure. face value, but I'll mm-hmm. share some things here, what I've learned. I learned that older people love to have sex. I had an older customer. I hate and I love older customers because the older they are, like I think she was like 80, she was coming in, this woman was coming in Sundays buying like five bottles of flavored lubricant. I don't know what she was doing, but I was like, okay, all right, whatever you doing, go on, go on it. But she's older, so my mind is, where is she? Has she passed away? Oh, like she stopped mm-hmm. coming in. Mm-hmm. Okay. She stopped coming in. Yeah. So I'm always yeah. looking for them to make yeah. sure they're okay. Yeah. And time passes, and I know they're probably mm-hmm. not here anymore. Yeah. Um, I knew an old guy who used to work for the city of Oakland, and that's a lot of people, so I'm not naming. But he was definitely into bondage. He reminded me of Fred Sanford. He was like, yeah, I know what that is. I was like... He was like 75. He used to come in and I used to help him fill out his housing applications to find a place to stay. Uh, he stayed with his daughter. They moved. But, you know, just hearing about yeah. love and, you know, older people, they still play the same games that young people play. They still play the same games. Nothing changes. Um, but one of the, the best things I think we did there was um, – with uh, SWAP, which is Sex Workers Outreach Project. Uh, we put, I, I had always had people come in and asking me how to get into sex work, yeah. especially black women. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were like, hey, I wanna make some extra money. They were teachers, they were from other cities, they come in. And so I reached out to SWAP and I was like, hey, can you do a workshop for us? And they were like, what do you think? And I said, ask a hoe. They're like, what do you mean? I said, I want people to come in and be able to ask you questions that they've always wanted to ask. And I know reading it is one thing, but seeing someone who may be out there doing sex work and asking hypothetical questions for whomever gives you that safe space. And it was the best thing ever. The person who was running that was Shannon. I forgot Shannon's last name, but she ended up passing away. And part of that for me was how you want to get information out in the community. And I was thinking about health care for sex workers at that time. I was like, I wonder if she had health care because she was at Highland. Mm-hmm. You know, like, how can we, how can we really get, the, get people to do the work and then be safe in doing it? Workers' right. Think about, yeah. did you know Black Panthers were actually endorsing sex workers? Can Coyote. You, can you talk about that yeah, a little more? Coyote was a sex worker um, union in San Francisco, and the Black Panthers endorsed them. Mm-hmm. You know, you have people who are saying, that's workers' rights. You guys are taking, taking care of your own community. Let's do it. Coyote. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. In case you're wondering, Coyote stood for Call Off Your Old Tired Ethics. They were a sex workers' rights group started by Margot St. James, and their big yearly fundraiser was called the Hooker's Ball. When I was fact-checking this episode, I mentioned to Nina that I was having trouble finding anything about connections between the Black Panthers and Coyote, and they got back to me, 
instantly with a pretty awesome response. See, when I sent that email, Nina was on the phone with Elaine Brown, who was the only woman to ever be the head of the Black Panther Party. And when Elaine was asked about the Panthers Coyote Link, she said, quote, not only did we support them, we went to their parties. So I know Fillmore's been around, um, or at least had the shop for mm -hmm. like about 13 years now. M my sort of like understanding or recollection is there used to be like a lot more sex shops in Oakland, sort of like pre-internet era. You know, it was kind of like more of a thing. Um, mm -hmm. What were some of the other sex shops that existed before Fillmore that, you know, might be worth mentioning since we're talking about Oakland sex history here? Right. We had um, Secrets. Broadway, which was in Jack London Square, and that one actually was the one that serviced the merchant, um, the merchants, uh, sea merchants, mm -hmm. the most. So when they got off the ship, they went to that store. The other one was on 27th in Telegraph, right there by the new Parkway, right across from the Korean Market. So that used to be there, and the one on 12th Street that we were talking about earlier that had the big sign on the outside, they're all gone. All of those are gone, not because, and, and one guy owned Secrets. He only has one left on Telegraph, and it's about 40th. And David is his name, and he, I think he owned the real estate. But here's the thing. Those stores didn't close because the customers weren't there. They closed because the development made better sense. Mm. Well, I would imagine, too, it was partially because they were probably making a lot of money from, like, DVDs and tapes and things like that. And once people just started getting their porn off the Internet, that probably cut into the business model, too, right? No. Those places were booths. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you had all of that stuff, and people, and you know, I'm telling you, people would still find me on the in the uh, yellow pages or white pages. You still put uh, you still put ads in the paper because there are people who are old school mm. who won't use the Internet. Hmm. Yeah, and they still use they still use those mediums, but I, those stores actually had booths in them, and booths mm -hmm. are where you would go in to actually watch the movie, mm -hmm. pay your you pay for your token, sure. so they're changing it for cash for cash, and they are more cash businesses, and Gosh. so you go in there, you jerk off, or you have sex, or you have your glory hole. I really want to put in a glory hole in the bar, but I don't know if that's gonna work, but. Um, we can't for the bathroom, but, you know, for just aesthetic, like, put a hole in something. Um, but the glory holes and those things actually allow people to have sex on their breaks for a couple bucks. And it was their controlled environment. Okay, I actually got an idea how you can do the glory hole in the bar. Because okay. I was actually at a wedding a couple months ago where they had a drink glory hole. Oh. And so what it was was there was a, it looked like a like a bush or like a hedge, but it was like fake plants. And there was a bell hanging off this one part of the bush. And if you walked over and rang the bell, all of a sudden a hand with a glass of champagne oh, popped through the so glory hole in the bush. And you could just, you know, grab the drink and walk around because it was like an open bar because it was a wedding. And then if you wanted to, you know, give the drink back for a refill, you uh -huh. just ring the bell again and give it back. And so, I mean, that glory hole, that drink glory hole was getting a lot of action oh that day. Oh, my God. <laughs> 
that is so cute. You got to think about it in a different way. Yeah. yeah so yeah. dirty minds out there, don't don't think that. Maybe you can, you know, pass a token through and get a glass of champagne or something. I know. Huh? Make people like, oh my God, I got to do this. Probably give them a token for the bathroom. That's what I'll do. Um, but yeah, so the boots are really cool. I, You know, when I was going to buy that sex shop, it had the boots and I always wanted one. But what the city of Oakland did for Fillmore, they made sure to say no booths on there. Mm-hmm. One, I just never wanted to clean up semen. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, mm. I think that's a hard job. Yeah, I don't know. You know, a lot of <laughs> semen. Can you imagine somebody not coming to work and I have to clean that mess up? Like, you got to have a cleaner and everything. I, I don't know. But, you know, the booth culture has gone down, especially since COVID, because people are, like, calling around, like, who who's doing the booth, you know, and no one's doing them as much anymore. Right. But that was a large cash revenue, a large cash generation for the stores. And mm. that's why you see a lot of the old school stores still have the booths. Yeah, no, yeah. that makes sense. I mean, though, I think the so I did a um, interview a couple months ago with a local musician, writer, artist, uh, Brontes Purnell, and he he did a, a memoir about cruising in the mm. Bay Area, like mostly kind of like I would say in the early two thousand, maybe like you know ten to twenty years ago, and he was saying that especially since like the apps came, like Grinder and Tinder and all that, like the cruising scenes really kind of shriveled up and is not as uh, prevalent as it used to be and so it makes sense that mm-hmm. that would affect like the booth business too because now people can just hop on the mm-hmm. hop on their phone and mm-hmm. they don't have to go down to the sex shop and see who's popping by that that night yeah but remember when i just said the the um the yellow pages or the white pages yeah. like the booth culture is still like the yellow pages or the white pages but even if people are in the store they're still swiping so if you think about grinder it's like who's close to you if you're in the store if you're in the store hanging out and all of a sudden you're in your grinder app you're really cruising the store and all you have to do is go into the back so it's providing that space around the privacy but then that red light abatement doesn't even apply to spaces like that because you can't see behind there. Mm-hmm. They're supposed to be in there by themselves, <laughs> and you're not policing that. Yeah. Well, Nina, I, I've got to admit, like this, I, I was so I was raised Catholic in a in a kind of conservative household, so it hasn't always been easy for me to kind of talk openly and frankly about sex. But I really wanted to do this episode and, and talk to you. Because I think that um, so many conversations about sex and sex in Oakland can be really, um, you know, negative or kind of skewed towards like the sort of, um, you know, unfortunate uh, status of this place as a, a notorious track for underage sex work or not under uh, for underage child sexual exploitation, um, for pimping, for exploitation of women. And there's like a lot more to sex in Oakland than just the sort of um, violent or, you know, illegal, not even illegal, but I feel like I'm stumbling over my own words here because mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to enunciate, but I think you, I, you know what I'm getting at, mm-hmm. you know, like that it's important to have these we don't have positive the conversations. Yeah, we don't yeah. have the joy. You know, again, we go back to the uh, red light abatement, 1913, 1914 in San Francisco. Even though that came down from the state, they didn't enforce it. Mm-hmm. They knew it was a part of the joy. They knew it was a part of a district. It, it brought money into the city. And I think until Oakland really accepts the story that sex is playing, even on the underground, like, it's not going to change. Mm-hmm. You know, I would like to find a different way to support and to eradicate 
you know, sexual exploitation of children here in Oakland Mm -hmm. all day long. I would love to see sex work legalized here in Oakland, you know, or not criminalized to be able to walk out and, and see it, but in certain areas that don't compete with communities that are wanting to, you know, raise their children or so on, you know. Yeah, you know, now that we're talking about this, it is kind of crazy because I know that, there, you know, I've heard about all these underground sex clubs in Oakland. Mm-hmm. Those could be raising revenue for the city if they were legalized. Like, more people would know about them. They'd mm-hmm. be, I mean, maybe some people running underground sex club don't want to get taxed and regulated. I totally get that part. But, like, there could be, you know, above ground legalized mm-hmm. sex clubs. And, like, that could be some people's scene, you know, easy to plug into. All, that, all I know is they are not inviting me. <laughs> <laughs> Look here. Look, if you are out there, <laughs> all I'm saying is I know I'm running for office, but at the same time, I have to do research, right? There you go. Um, yeah. And, I mean, there's that old, uh, you know, expression about how politicians got to press the flesh, right? I've been pressing the flesh for a long time, <laughs> but but um, I, I just want to see what people really need. Things are being more structured around here, but we also need to leave space for people to make a living. And, you know, when people talk to me about sex work, I'm like, I'm sorry, I grew up in Nevada. Like, it was always legal where I'm from. Mm -hmm. Not in my county, but it was legal. I saw it. It wasn't wasn't talked about the way it's talked about in some other cities. And if we're looking at other cities, if the, the council or the city is looking at other cities for how our laws are justified and changed, we have to really look at how they're doing business as well. Soon, Oakland should be decriminalizing mushrooms and psychedelics, right? So then we can go over to the to the church, yep. right? We can go yeah. to church. Yep. Zydor. Yeah, you can go to church and really get your get your mushrooms without yeah. without without fear. Hallelujah. Yeah, hallelujah. You going to church? Let's go to church Sunday. You want to go to church? Let's go to church. But you know, microdosing is a thing. And so cannabis was a thing. Oakland, you know, we had a lot of the first raids around cannabis in Oakland, and then other places started to legalize it. Then Oakland got legalized. Mm -hmm. Okay, but sex work in San Francisco, they got so many strip clubs that create a nightlife in a red light district where people aren't saying it's a bad thing. Why isn't Oakland able to do that? Yeah, I mean there should be a spot for it, right? Yeah, it, it should be a spot for it, but now we're we're in we're up against housing. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, so even the justification of like, can you put it there? Should you put it there? Is is more of a a dialogue than hey, let's let's open this right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of a lot of interesting questions. We'll mm-hmm. see what the future holds. I'm glad to do have learned a little bit about Oakland's sex history from you, Nina. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it having you down in the basement here. (laughs) Thanks for the beer. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That'll do it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of East Bay Yesterday. I've been your host, Liam O'Donoghue. Before I get to the credits, I just wanted to remind you that I've got a few events coming up soon and uh, hopefully I'll be adding more soon. So if you want to hear about those as soon as they're announced, sign up for the newsletter, follow me on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. It's all at eastbayyesterday.com. And yes, the boat tours will be coming back in 2023. 
after four straight years of selling out every single tour. Thank you. Uh, you know I got to keep those going. In fact, tickets for the first one on January 22nd, 2023 are already on sale now. All right. Uh, huge, huge shout out to all the Patreon supporters. I love you guys. Uh, most of my supporters are like $3, $5, whatever. It all adds up and helps me keep making the show. If you can donate, please do. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Also, a uh, special shout out to Amelia Sue Marshall of the Oakland Heritage Alliance for putting me in touch with Nina Joyner. Uh, Amelia, when Nina's bar finally opens, I will be there to, uh, to buy you a shot. Okay, music for this episode came from Justin Lee. That's going to do it. Uh, I'll be back soon with more episodes of East Bay Yesterday. <laughs>